So this morning we're going to start a sermon series on the book of Revelation. And um, if you, you know, last week when we did the conference and we had Dr. Johnson here, um, he introduced it and he, he talked about how as a kid or as a young, as a young guy, um, all the book of Revelation did was terrify him. And I can relate to that. We were living in Southern California in the late 70s um, when the Billy Graham Association put out the, a, a, a two-set movie. One of them was A Thief in the Night. How many of you all have seen that? Only a couple of you. Um, my guess is probably on YouTube. You can go watch it if you want to be scared to death. Um, but I remember my parents taking us to a little Bible church. We went to a, a free Methodist church. And uh, somewhere there in town, they were showing this uh, this movie, and, <clears throat> and and I'm pretty sure that the intended result, the desired result, was to scare you to death. And uh, I remember going, we sat there, and we watched that movie, and I, I don't remember a whole lot about it other than I remember there was a scene in which um, the drivers of vehicles were raptured out of their cars and cars were careening all over the road and there was mass chaos. It was just totally wild and crazy and people were running and screaming and, you know, and that was the image that I left that day with, completely and totally terrified. And then every time I would come home from school, and um, and I couldn't find my mom immediately in the house, I would have a massive panic attack that she had been taken and I was left, which is exactly how my mom would have planned it, right? Um, and uh, and so that's that was what I grew up with um, in, in the church. That's That was my idea of the book of Revelation, that all it was about was how the Christians would just get sucked up in a giant vacuum and then um, everything else would happen and and um, and it was terrible. Then the late great planet Earth came out and um, the movie and my dad took me to the theater to see that. And again, I was abs- I was traumatized, PTSD from that movie. Um, and then life kind of went on and I forgot about the book of Revelation. Um, like maybe a lot of you, it, it doesn't seem to have real any import into my life. Um, I could forget about that. You know, I, I turned into a, what we call a pan mill guy. That is, it will all pan out in the end. And and so I just forgot about it, and I didn't do anything with it, and, and just left it there all these years. And um, and until of late, I actually had a, uh, I've had a, I had had a few questions about the book. What is, you know this and the technical questions. And I'll just tell you, I'm not a technical guy. I'm I'm a big picture guy. So you're, you'll have to wait for Marion to preach on, on it to get the technicalities. Or you should have been here last weekend um, to hear Dr. Johnson. Now, if you are interested, you want a little bit of a head start, you, wanna, you want some of that big picture, we recorded Dr. Johnson's um, series last weekend, Friday evening, Saturday, and Sunday morning. And those are on the website. Gail already has them. And I would just encourage you, go download those, listen to them. That'll give you, that'll get you up and running. But what I want to do this morning is I want to intro the book. And, um, and I want to do that in the first three verses, Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. And here's what I can tell you. I hope, Marion and I hope, that is going to happen as we work our way through Revelation. First, 
is it is going to be a little bit more understandable. Second, you are actually, my hope and my prayer is that you're going to find yourselves not terrified, but encouraged. Not terrified, but encouraged. And I want to begin this morning by looking at the first three verses. And from those three verses, um, we're just going to start grabbing a hold of some handles. Some of these will already be familiar if you were here last weekend, but we'll, uh, we'll make our way through them. So let's begin. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Let me pray. Father, we want to thank you this morning for your word. Lord, as we come to it each and every week, it is a tremendous encouragement to us. For first, it reminds us that you haven't left us, that you didn't leave us to our own wisdom, to our own way. Instead, you gave to us your word. You, you have given to us, Peter says, everything for life and for godliness. Father, what a beautiful thing. How thankful we are that you gave us your word. And here in this letter, how you gave to us such great encouragements. Primarily, that you have shown us that in all things, through all things, the Lamb is indeed triumphant. We praise you. We thank you this day. May our meditations upon your word, may the words of my lips be acceptable in your sight for your glory and for our good. Amen. So you've got, a, I gave you a little bit of a handout that you can follow along um, if, you, if you want to fill in. If you're filling the blank kind of people, I didn't give you a whole lot of blanks, but I gave you a few. And here's the first one. Um, the first of four things that I want us to kind of extract out of these first three verses and, and here's point number one, revelation, are you ready for this? This is going to come as news. Revelation reveals. Revelation reveals. I know, shocking, right? Um, now, that may, that may be somewhat obvious to some of you, but listen, you don't have to be, you don't have to be a scholar, you don't have to be a preacher, you don't have to be a theologian to know that much of what has been said about the book of Revelation over the last, oh, 150 years is anything but revealing. It's largely been confusing, terribly confusing. The charts and the graphs and the, and the, you know, the, you know, the ins and outs and this, the post and the pre and the ahs and all of that stuff. Um, it, it, it's somewhat striking, isn't it? If the book of Revelation is intended to reveal to us something, why is it that when we read it, when you come to it, you walk away so darn confused by it? Is that what was intended? 
Dr. Johnson did a, a, a good job, I think, this last weekend of, of showing us that, that uh, he talked about this big word, recapitulation, how it is that he believes, and, and I do too, that the book of Revelation is really just um, different camera angles revealing to us the same thing, albeit from different angles. And that is actually the, the track that we are going to be on as we work our way through the book. And so here... As we begin to look at this letter, we notice that it it is actually a revelation for us. Now, let's just stop and let's all agree that we're going to um, refer to this last book of the Bible as revelation, not revelations. All right? So, you want to practice? The book of Revelation not revelations. And as a, as a revelation, it is a coherent whole for us, giving to us the backdrop, if you will, the, the behind the scenes of what has happened. Now, um, Dr. Johnson talked, and, and uh, one of the things that would be noted is that this book has an, a number of different types of literature in it. One of those is prophetic literature. Now, prophecy, I want you to understand, prophecy in the Bible is not generally, and when you hear prophecy, typically what we think is prophecy is the foretelling of something that is going to happen. That is not generally what prophecy in the Bible is. Prophecy generally in the Bible is the prophet speaking and making known the mind of God. So the prophet is revealing to us God's mind, God's word. That is generally the nature of prophecy. And revelation has prophetic elements to it in that revealing elements. Uh, Revelation is not primarily a book about what is going to happen in the way off distant future. And one of the things that you're going to see as we work through these first few chapters is that the book was written, the letter was written, first and foremost, to churches, seven churches, in the first century. It is for them primarily. Now, the church has received the benefit of having had this book down through the ages, but it wasn't a book given to the seven churches of Asia Minor to tell them, okay, now listen, nothing in this book is going to be of any value or meaning to you. It's all prophecy that tells us about flying Apache helicopters that are going to come on the scene in the 21st century. How absolutely useless would that have been to that church? It would have been pointless then. Oh, thank you. We're in the midst of suffering and... Um, 2,000 years from now, there are going to be flying machines that shoot hellfire missiles. Not so very helpful for a church in absolute dire need in the first century, which is where and to whom the book was originally written. So, at the very beginning of the book, we have, um, we have John telling us about the revelation of, of Jesus Christ. That word revelation is is translated from the Greek word apocalypsis, which we get the word apocalypse from. Now when you hear apocalypse, you're probably 
like me, most of my uh, encounters with apocalypse is not good. I think zombie apocalypse, all right? Um, a terrible happening. Um, I know most of you are pre- prepared for the zombie apocalypse, um, as am I. I have my MREs stored in the, in the garage, my weapons. Miriam Webster defines it as a great disaster that is apocalypse. Here are some synonyms that are offered if you go to the dictionary. Disaster, calamity, cataclysm, catastrophe. Those are the synonyms that are offered for apocalypse. But the original meaning of the word apocalypse is, the, is in Greek was merely to reveal, to uncover. And that's what the book of Revelation does. So in that first sentence, in that first word, we really get the idea. This is a revelation, a revealing, an uncovering, if you will, from Jesus Christ. And guess what? About Jesus Christ. The revelation that is going to come in this book is both of Jesus. That means it's from Him. God the Father gives Him the revelation. He gives the revelation to the angel. The angel comes and reveals it to John. So the revelation comes from Christ and He is also its primary subject matter. So as we work our way through the letter over the next number of months, one of the things that you're going to see and notice is that Jesus is the centerpiece of the book. It all holds together because he is at the center of it all. So he's both the subject of the revelation and he's the one giving the revelation to us. So we could say, The book of Revelation is about Jesus. Now, here's one of the things that I want you to to kind of understand as we get into the book as well. The book of Revelation, generally speaking, does not provide anything new that you can't find and don't find in the rest of the Bible. It's not like... It's not like Romans, it's not like Ephesians, it's not like, a, it's not like a Galatians where the Apostle Paul is doing some real didactic, some real kind of groundbreaking unveiling of doctrinal teaching. The book of Revelation is really pulling together a number of threads all the way through the book and, and kind of summarizing them in the end, giving us this complete whole picture Dr. Johnson talked last weekend about the fact that all of the images that come in the book of Revelation, you can find in the Old Testament prophets. They're all there somewhere already. And so we're not coming to the book looking for some new teaching about Jesus. We're coming to the book of Revelation because it is going to present for us, it is going to show for us, it is going to reveal, if you will, the true nature of the world in which we live in. The themes that are going to rise up in this book are themes like, go all the way back to the book of Genesis, which we just did last year, 
and think about some of the themes, right? We talked about the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, right? And so you get all the way to the book of Revelation and you go, aha, all the way down through history, those two have been doing battle with one another. And so there are images of dragons waiting to consume infants and, and all of these pictures, these images. And those images are for us reminders of what is happening. Big uh, powers are, are at play in the world around us, just as they were back then. Babylon and Rome. And today there are countries and nation states at work. And what lies behind them all is this cosmic battle, if you will, between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, to which John pulls back the veil and gives us some aha moments about what is happening. And so that is the nature of the revelation in the book. John isn't revealing for us new doctrinal concerns about the person and work of Jesus Christ. We already know those from Scripture. He's pulling back the veil and helping us see, awakening our senses, as it were, oh, to the world, the real world in which we live. I hope that helps and gives you a little bit of the sense of what's coming. Someone has likened it to, uh, to the movie The Matrix. Y'all remember that movie? Okay, not, not really a, a current it's almost 20 years old now. The Matrix came out in, what, 99, 98, 99? There's a scene in the, in the movie, The Matrix, in which Morpheus is sitting with Neo. They're sitting there across from one another. There's a glass of water on the table. And Morpheus is essentially offering Neo the opportunity to see behind, to see and know The Matrix. And so he holds out his hand, and he has a red pill and a blue pill in his hands. He says... If you take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill and you stay in Wonderland and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. And Neo takes out and he takes the red pill and he takes a big swig of the water and the movie is on its way. And he gets to see, if you will, the behind the scenes of everything that is happening, how it works, and, and, and all of these things. are, and, and in a sense, that's kind of what we're getting to do in the book of Revelation. It's, it's the Wizard of Oz as they get there, and the curtain is pulled back, only it's not an old man behind there jimmying the controls. The curtain is pulled back, and voila, what do we see? We see the Lamb who was slain but lives. We see lamb power. We see God at work in everything that is happening. Not some decrepit old man back there hoodwinking us all. But instead, we get to see that indeed the sovereign of all creation, the sovereign of Scripture down through the history, the one who created us, the one who saved us, the one who will save us, the one who will usher in the new heavens and the new earth, guess what? He is actually in control of all things, not the dragon. 
So, point number one, revelation reveals. Point number two, revelation images. Revelation images. And here's what I mean by that. The book of Revelation is a book of words, but it is, but it images for us, primarily it images for us the lamb that was slain. It's full of pictures. It's full of, it's full of moving uh, images, if you will. You know, if, if you were a filmmaker, uh, this is your kind of story, right? Because it's rich in detail. It's rich in images that, that cause you to go, okay, hold, hold on. What's happening? Help me understand what this is, what that is. Remember, one of the things that Dr. Johnson said last week was that in the book of Revelation, you want to really kind of flip um, the interpretive uh, grid that you normally use in the word on its head. Because normally you're looking for interpreting things literally where possible, figuratively if you must. In the book of Revelation, he says, flip it. You are really looking to interpret figuratively almost everywhere, literally where you can, and it, and it makes good sense. It's a book of images showing for us and helping us understand The Lamb is powerful. The Lamb is awesome. The Lamb is mighty. The Lamb is winning. All of those things. The Lamb conquers. Why? Why the images? Why the the effort? Why, Why all of those things? I think it's probably because we need to be moved. The church needs to be moved. It's it's easy for us sometimes to read, go to sleep, to forget, to kind of not have our, our senses awakened. And so the book of Revelation is here for us because it does exactly that. It gives to us in very graphic detail all of the things that we need to know, that we need to be armed with as we go out into the world, knowing that our God rules and reigns. No matter what it looks like, no matter how difficult it is, that is what's happening. And so all through this letter... John reminds us, listen, I'm seeing, I'm hearing, this is what has been given to me. Notice the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him, what? To show his servants what must soon take place. He's shooting a movie. He wants us to to see and to know. Later in in the book, um, John says this, And I, John, am the one who heard And saw these things, and when I heard and I saw them, what? I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. Now think about that. So John is saying, okay, and here's what I Let me ask you a question. Did John know Jesus? Yes. Guess what? The John that writes the Revelation is the John of the Gospel of John. 
He's the John of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. He's the John of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. That's the John we're talking about. So this John knew Jesus intimately. I mean, he was a part of Jesus' inner circle. He ate with Jesus. He slept side by side with Jesus. He saw Jesus heal. He saw Jesus multiply bread and fish. He saw all of those things. And yet when he sees the vision there on the island of Patmos, when the angel gave him a glimpse into heaven, when the veil was pulled back, what is John's reaction? John's reaction is to fall down as if dead and to worship. Now that's quite remarkable. Because what has he seen? He's seen the triumphant Lamb. The Lamb who was slain and yet lives. That's who John has seen in the vision over and over and over and over in a myriad of ways conquering and winning out. The same Jesus that he had spent all of those years with is the same Jesus he's now seen in this revelation. And what is his response? Essentially, it's the same response of everyone else who sees God in the Bible. Woe is me, I'm undone. And that's John's response. Now, I tell you that because that is the sense of the book, right? To image for us the Lamb. To inspire in us worship. To awaken us. To remind us. To revive us. That the God that we serve is this God. Winning. John opens his letter, 1 John, by saying this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that, what? You too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. I I have to believe, when I come to the book of Revelation, that John has the same passion for this book that he had for that book. And he is telling us everything. He is giving us the revelation because He wants us to know that fellowship with God the Father and God the Son. And John's original here needed to hear it too. Listen, they needed to know what was behind the tyranny. They needed to know what stood behind the evil, behind the death and the destruction and the persecution. They needed to know that behind all of that, was the triumphant Savior, the Lamb of God. Third point, Revelation concerns. Revelation concerns. I know. It doesn't totally work because you have to finish it, right? Revelation concerns what must soon take place. John tells us this 
twice right here at the beginning. He says, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. And then in verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of his prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, what? Because the time is near. Twice in the first three verses, John tells us that revelation was given to show us and to show the servants that he was writing to the things that must soon take place. Now, you could read that and you could say, well, that's just John kind of using boilerplate language, you know. Uh, The Bible talks about things that are going to happen all down through the age and so on and so forth, that the time is near, that Jesus is coming. But when you get to the book, the end of the book in Revelation 22, verses 6 and 7, he says this, And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true, right? So the angel communicating to John says, These words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. It isn't just boilerplate language. It's the bookends of what is going on in the letter. And that is, these things can't just be far off things that are going to happen in a a place far, far away, in a galaxy far, far away, a long time from now. They have to have impacted them somehow near to them, and that is what John seems to be communicating. Now, we're going to talk more about that. It's going to come up as we work our way through the book. But one thing is for sure, revelation was given to first century Christians, the inhabitants of the churches, the seven churches that are listed in Asia Minor, what is today modern-day Turkey. John himself ministered in Ephesus in the church there. The letter would have gone first to Ephesus, and then it would have made its way in a a counterclockwise way around the churches. It would have been passed going to each church. They would have received it. They would have read it. Remember, they didn't have copy machines and all of that. And so John had written this out. It would have been taken, read at the first church, moved to the second church, read aloud there. No doubt they probably would have started right away copying what it was that John had written. But it was written for them. It was specifically given to them to help encourage them and bolster them in the midst of their struggle and their trial. That had great meaning for them. Now, That doesn't mean that it doesn't have meaning for us. It does have meaning for us. But we need to understand as we work our way through that the book had its primary audience there in Asia Minor. Here's the fourth and final point. Revelation blesses. John tells us right here at the beginning, blessed is the one who reads and the one who hears and the one who keeps. Blessed is the one who hears, reads, and keeps the prophecy written in this book. Now, right there should be a key. How do you keep the prophecy if all prophecy is is the foretelling of things that are going to happen? Whereas if prophecy is the Word of God, right, then you can keep it because you have it, you hold it, you, you, 
It, it comes to you, and that is the way that the prophets spoke, and the prophecy that is in this book is primarily, not only, but it is primarily for us, and it's God's word to us. Not a giant Tetris puzzle that causes some sense of bewilderment and keeps us from understanding. Revelation isn't a giant puzzle for you to try and figure out. It's a letter written to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. We'll take a quick little tour. You can just jot these down. Throughout the book, there are seven blessings that are offered. Dr. Johnson talked last week, numbers are important in the book of Revelation. Seven is the number of perfection. There are seven that are listed. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Revelation 14, 13. I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. Revelation 16:15. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and to be shamefully exposed. Revelation 19.9, the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Revelation 20, verse 6, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Revelation 22.7, look. I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. Revelation 22:14. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. I want you to hear and know this morning as we begin this book that Revelation is a book. It is a letter very much intended to call faithful Christians to join the, the Lamb in His triumph and to know it, to, to see it as, as real as, as anything, as real as this pulpit, as the chair you're sitting on, to know that the Lamb that was slain reigns. One of the things that was pointed out Dr. Johnson uh, talked just a little bit about it, is that Revelation talks about the lamb and the lion. But it only talks about the lion one time. And it's in Revelation chapter 5, and it's a quote, right? Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he is triumphed. And then in verse Six, he says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne and circled. And he goes on to describe this lamb in all of his triumph. Wow. And that's a really interesting point that has been made about this book is that Jesus isn't the lion. We know what lions do. 
They pounce around with giant paws. They have very strong jaws. They're powerful. They are the king of the jungle. They rule. They reign. But that isn't the image that John gives to us. John instead just refers to the fact that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And then he goes right into the fact that he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb. A lamb that was slain but lives. And that's what he's that's the way that Jesus is referred to 28 times in the book of Revelation. 28 times Jesus is called the lamb. Now let me ask you. When you're thinking about dragons, when you're thinking about Babylon, when you're thinking about Rome, when you're thinking about powerful oppressive governments, Is the lamb the one that you want to send into that battle? We know what lambs are associated with. Weakness. But Jesus comes as the lamb. Somebody describes it as Revelation is the book that tells us all about lamb power. What the book of Revelation tells us is that lamb power wins the day. How did Jesus secure our salvation? Through His death and resurrection. How does He win the day? How do you and I win the day? I'll tell you, it's not by acting like lions. It's not by roaring out into the world and, and, and thumping our, our fists on our bully pulpits and demanding our rights and getting our ways and and winning the day. We're Christians. We've got Jesus on our side. What does Jesus tell us? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Happy Perkins and Lincoln Bellafay are going to be teaching the class on the art of neighboring. Marion said at the beginning, if you are If you want to be in a class, we want you in that class. Or mine. (laughs) Last count, Marion had me by two. So I need some more sign-ups. In all seriousness, listen. The art of neighboring. The art of learning to love our neighbors. It's lost. It's lost on the church. I, I, I encourage you, I've talked about her before, but if you, if you want to see the powerful work that loving your neighbor has in the kingdom of God, get Rosaria Butterfield's book and read how it is that a feminist, lesbian, tenured professor in the, in the Northeast was able to go from that life to a born-again believer. And it was through the power of a menacing, mean lion roaring around her campus, confronting her. No. It was through a loving neighbor who showed her the love of Jesus Christ. That's lamb power. Lamb power wins the day. That's what Revelation tells us. So as we go out into the world, as we go out into the week, His power is in His death and resurrection. Our power is that we are united to Him 
And that's how the enemy is defeated. That's what the book of Revelation tells us. Let's go forth today and land power. Let me pray for us. Father, you're good. We would bless you and praise you this day for all that you have done for us in Christ. We are in him. And because we're in him, Father, we are right with you. Well, that gives us the ability and the power not to demand our rights, but to love everyone, to pray for even our enemies and those who persecute us. Father, let us see and know and taste all that is good. Father, let us go forth this day in the power of the Lamb for your glory and for our good. Christ.